Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is the second reading of the law, which is what the word means. In Leviticus, is where it's, uh, well, in Exodus and Leviticus, we read about the law and, uh, you know, all the various statutes and commandments, of course, the Ten Commandments to begin with, and then many others, which have been calculated to be 613, which include those Ten Commandments. Um, and here we go through the second reading of the law, and uh, you can read the Ten Commandments in both and Numbers and Deuteronomy, or is it Exodus, um, and Deuteronomy. And uh, we're just picking up here the most important one, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates, and, it, and so we'll leave it there. Okay, but uh, this is the first commandment. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, with everything you've got... Give it all your strength. And uh, in Luke, when Jesus repeats this commandment, he uses the word strength. He says, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So it's pretty clear, isn't it, what, what the Lord wants. He gave ten commandments and this was number one. I want you to love me. And then he, and he goes on to say the second one is to love, love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus brings that out, of course. But <clears throat> let's just look at this in its in its own context. It's... It's the most important commandment and it's to be taught to your children when you're in your house and when you're out of your house, going places, and when you're lying down to sleep when you get up in the morning. It's to be front and foremost. And it says that in the next verse, a sign on your hand, so whenever you're doing something, you know, it's, it's sort of in your actions, and it's frontlets between your eyes. So they actually used to have things dangling down in front of their eyes to remind them. What it means is, you know, have this in front of your eyes at all the time. Um, and also, if that's not enough for you to, to keep remembering, write it on the posts of your, of your door. And as you go out, you know, looking at your doorpost as you go out and as you come back in again, you say, oh, yes, this house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, that's what this house is about and so on. So, and it's on your gates. And of course, in the ancient cities, they had gatehouses and soldiers were there and so on. It was the entrance to the city. But, you know, it was like a statement. This city is, is for God. You know, it worships God. And we could do that with each of us with our own houses. As it says here, write it on the posts of thy house. So, I think that's fairly clear. Now, let's go up two chapters to chapter 8. And, um, wonderful book, this Deuteronomy. So, so much good. Instruction in it. Verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. So I'm giving you this promised land. But, of course, there's a wilderness experience, wasn't there? They came out of Egypt, out of bondage. They went through the Red Sea. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and eventually they fought their way. They didn't waltz their way, they fought their way into the promised land. And God here says in verse 2, 
And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And said, he's basically saying there was a reason for the forty years in the wilderness. You were in bondage in Egypt. You came out through the sea. I parted the waters with a miracle. But then you spent this interim period of 40 years before you got to the promised land. And the reason for that was so that you would be humbled, so that you would be proven, tested. In other words, to see what was inside your heart and whether you were actually, when you were under pressure, whether you were going to keep his commandments or not. And if you had gone straight out of the Red Sea and walked into the promised land, God would never have known that. Now, we can update that to our walk today. Being in Egypt, in bondage, was like our life in the, in the world when we were under the, the yoke of sin and we had no escape from it and it was ruled our life. And we, we could not approach God because of sin. But God made a miracle and in Peter it talks about going through the sea as like a baptism. You know, or, you know it's, a, it's a, like a baptism going through the Red Sea. It's a miracle. And then they came not into the promised land but into the wilderness. Well, they could have entered the promised land, couldn't they, within a three weeks or so, but because of um, unbelief they wandered for 40 years and they were tested. And that's like our experience now. We've been baptised, we've received the Holy Spirit, all the tools that we need. They had the, the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, God with them. We've got the Holy Spirit and we can pray in tongues in the spirit and um, we can pray and see miracles happening and we can read his word and so on as we go on. They had those other things. And uh, eventually when the Lord comes back, we will go into the promised land. So everything was done physically here in the Old Testament to give us an example, a very straightforward uh, set of events which we can then liken to, which God wanted to liken to our walk in the Lord now. And so these verses are particularly applicable to us that we're going through this wilderness experience now as we wait for the Lord to return, as we go in, wait to go into the promised land and we're being humbled, we're being proven, we're being tested, we're having our hearts examined, we are being tested to see if we're keeping his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? So sometimes some particularly difficult things happen. You know, we can we can go through the small stuff sometimes. We get through a trial, we get through a bit of sickness, we get through this and that. We get some pretty big ones, don't we? Sometimes big ones can be, because um, you don't know what else to do, you just have to trust in the Lord. So it actually makes you stronger rather than throw you off course. But then there's some, sometimes something that's really insidious, like uh, Satan is really clever and he will try something curly, the curveball. Chapter 13 is such an example. Verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and give thee a sign or a wonder, in other words a miracle, and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is a situation where someone is doing a miracle in the name of God and saying, 
look, a miracle's happened, therefore this is the truth and you need to come and agree with what we're saying. For example, well, in a, in a, in a fairly obvious sense, this was, scripture was brought out at the 1996 uh, revival convention because there was a situation going on in Papua New Guinea where someone had risen up and was doing miracles in a village but saying, well, you don't have to do it that way, particularly the, the revival fellowship way or the Bible way, um, but you can just do it this other way and say, look, I've got a miracle. So, you know, this is okay. But the Lord has put it in the Bible, an allowance that these things do happen and saying you're actually being tested in that situation to see which way you're going to go. You know, does it line up with Scripture, with the commandments, with the spirit and truth that Jesus talks about in John 4? Is it like that or is it some other thing? And uh, we could say in verse 2 where it says, let us go after other gods, we could substitute today, let us go after other doctrines, other ways of worshipping God, which you have not known, and let's serve them. Okay, because there's been this dream or this sign or this wonder. But God is expecting you to be discerning, to be able to divide the truth using the sword, the word of God, to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4, the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to be clever and careful with the word and to be able to slice through. And even if you're not quite sure, you can't explain why that miracle happened, why that sign of wonder, that dream, you just know it doesn't line up. No, I'm not going to go there. The Lord is expecting you to make the right decision. And so sometimes things come up and you, 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 don't, you can't explain it, but you can say, well, I can't explain that, but I don't agree with it. I'm sticking with the doctrine that I've been taught. And that is a fair enough answer because Paul uses that in Thessalonians. He says, adhere to the traditions which you were first taught, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, receiving the love of the truth that you might be saved and so on. So you have to be, you have to know your scriptures. You have to read them. You have to be able to discern. And God will give you the wherewithal to do that. He will open your eyes. He will teach you line upon line, here a bit, there a bit, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. He tells us that in Isaiah 28. And he's going to keep throwing up tests, or Satan's going to keep throwing up the test rather, and God is going to be standing back watching, you know, to see what's in your heart and whether you're going to keep his commandments or not. But it sounds hard, but it's not hard. You just, it's very simple. Let's go up to Matthew chapter 22. And here the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. The Sadducees have had their, their, their go and uh, the Pharisees had seen them fail and then they had a go. Um, verse 35, well let's go 34, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So the Sadducees had been uh, rebuked, as it were. They were trying to trick him with the question about the resurrection. Um, and then the Pharisees ask a question. Verse 35, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. And saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And as I mentioned in Luke, this verse is rendered with the word strength also, which is in the original quotation from 
Deuteronomy, where the word is might in our translation. So Jesus brings it out, and it's, they ask him which is the great commandment, and he gives it. As he said in Matthew, earlier in Matthew, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And uh, he just makes it quite clear to them what the most important thing. In other places he says, you know, you keep the law, you keep your tithe coming and mint, and you, and you don't do the weightier things of the law. You're not loving God first, and you're not loving your brothers and sisters second. You know, you take away widows' houses and, and create orphans, poverty and so on, and uh, you don't care for your brothers and sisters, and... Um, you know, it's all about you and you love to, to receive the praises of men and so on. So he just brings it out very simply as he does, you know, with a simple statement. This is the first commandment. Let's just go back a bit in Matthew to chapter 6. And um, just before we read that, uh, just a word on the, on the word strength and might. You know, when you think about it, as I say, it's not just uh, a walk out of Egypt and into the promised land. It takes some strength. It takes strength to walk through the wilderness for 40 years, doesn't it? Some people in this room have been following the Lord for 43 years. Um, you know, it's, it's a long time. And there's times when, to use uh, a well-known uh, West Australian analogy of the rope, rope with a knot in the end of it, um, and people hanging on, you know, when, when all else is gone, you know, and you you just got to tie a knot in the end of the rope and hang on and your arms start getting sore, don't they? You've just got to you've just got to hang on with all your strength. And love the Lord with all your heart, soul and mind and strength. So sometimes it's just strength. And you when you feel like your strength is gone, um then remember that Isaiah forty where he talks about, you know, when the when even the young men grow faint and weary, I will renew your strength and I'll lift you up and you'll be you'll be okay. And you'll be renewed. So praise the Lord. He knows. He knows our mortal frame. He won't put on us more than we can bear. He knows that we are but dust. All those verses come to mind. And he gives us the strength. Another one in Psalms will go from strength to strength. So strength is important. But when I'm weak, then I'm strong, Paul said. When you're weak, when you can't do it anymore, go to the Lord. He'll give you the strength. So holding on to that knot sometimes, just so you don't slip off the end of the rope and uh, disappear. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Jesus speaking to his followers here. says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? And uh, you know, he's just bringing out this example that uh, God has created this Amazing thing, he feeds birds, he, he creates beauty in flowers, you know, the lilies of the field. And if you actually sort of got time in your busy lives to just lie in the meadow, pluck the flower, you know, from next to you and just sort of stare at it for half an hour. Anyone got time to do that? <laughs> Good on you. Coming up, make some time. Have a look at that flower. Just imagine, you know, what went into making it and not just the... Um, the first level, but go to the, the next level, the biochemical level, and then maybe the next level, the atomic level, and then maybe the level under that. And the, and the ones that we haven't found yet that created that wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, he just uses that as an example, doesn't he? The lilies of the field, how beautiful they are, more than Solomon in all his fine robes and his embroideries and so on. And it is amazing when you stop and just look at what God has made. And he said, don't worry. He, you're going to have clothes. 
You know, you don't worry about clothes because, you know, I clothe the, the world, as it were. I mean, once upon a time, supposedly, it was, uh, it was just molten rock and you sort of clothed it with beauty, with living things, with organisms. How much more shall he clothe you? And take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, and people do, of course, understandably. If you don't have anyone looking out for you, you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to make sure you get fed. But we've got a heavenly Father. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Of course he does. He made us. He made us with those needs, with hunger, with thirst, and so on. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying you need all the strength you've got to battle off all the the difficult things just for today. If you start imagining what what difficult things are coming up tomorrow and next week and so on, you're going to wear yourself out. There is plenty to worry about. And quite quite often, as I've said this many times, the things you worry about don't actually happen. So you wasted all that time worrying about them. And that didn't happen. So God is saying, you know, he's the best psychologist of all. People are rediscovering all these things. Just put the blinkers on and say, okay, today, you know, get up, look at the posts on my doors, the frontlets in front of my eyes. Remember God, worship him, give him the credit for everything I've got. And, you know, just sort out the problems for today. Of course we make plans and so on. But don't over overstress about, you know, what might happen when you know that you've got a heavenly father who's going to make things come right for you. And he says, the Gentiles seek after these things. I'm going to give them to you. And elsewhere in Psalms, I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You know, the children of the righteous having to go out and beg for things. They always receive what they need. The key is, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything will be fine. Everything will be added to you. And we see it over and over again because we've got human minds, we, we sort of flip back to thinking, oh, I have to take matters into my own hands and sort it out. As soon as we remember, and that's why meetings are so good and fellowship, we're just reminded, we're reminded by testimonies. Didn't know what to do. I just got on my knees. I prayed. The Lord sorted it out, you know, and we think that's the answer to my problem. We, we help each other. So seek first the kingdom of God. The title of the talk is Make God Number One because if we do that, everything else We'll be fine. Um, if we make God number one in our lives, everything is better. Everything gets added to you in the end. But in the meantime, while you're looking around saying, why am I in this trial? Why are things so bad? Remember, you're just in the wilderness. You're going through the test. You're being humbled and proven to see what's in your heart. So think, great, this is a chance to show God what I'm made of, that I can get through this, that I have got faith. So, Yeah. I'm going to keep going because the end will be better than the beginning, Ecclesiastes. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Always well, good to be reminded of these things. Uh, they're fundamental to our walk. Of course, we've got a new year coming up and people like to sort of, not necessarily make New Year's resolutions, but sort of say, well, these are the things I want to sort of address this year or refine a little. And we could just sort of look at ourselves and say, you know, is God number one? Are we applying the first commandment? Do we need to recalibrate a little bit? Are there any things I can cut off that I don't need? Things I can bring in that are good things, spiritual things? And uh, seek first the kingdom of God. 
Ephesians chapter 3, just one verse here. Verse 20, we read, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And what is that power within us? It's the Holy Spirit within us, as we've heard in testimony today, following the scriptures through the waters of baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. As Chris said, there's so many scriptures on it, scattered through the Bible. I actually got the concordance out and counted them one day, 26 times mentioned. And then, of course, there are Old Testament allusions to it where it doesn't actually say the word tongues, but alludes to it. And Paul refers to those in the new, from the New Testament, so we know that, he, that they're talking about tongues. And um, that power is the Holy Spirit, power that works in us. And uh, him, God, able to do abund- exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And how many times, and we've all known this from our, our walk, that God has done above what we've asked for. You know, if we take matters into our own hands, we get the result we're looking for, possibly. You know, we fight for it, we work for it, you know, we struggle and we get that result. And that's kind of what we were aiming for. Sometimes we don't succeed, so we don't get the result. But if we give it up and hand it over to God, and it's like that corn of wheat thrown into the ground, let that cast it away, let it die, you know, what does the corn of wheat do? It grows up and brings forth a hundred times the one grain that started it. And that's what happens with God. If you give it away and say, you take the problem, you solve this one, I don't know what to do, I feel a bit irresponsible not taking matters into my own hands sometimes, I'm just, but I'm just going to give it to you and try and be faithful and patient and not think about it. You know, It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? We want to take it back. Sometimes we take it back, give it back, take it back, give it back a few times. <laughs> and then finally we succeed in giving it over. And God says, good. Now you've learned. But I see that you're faithful, proven, and I see what's in your heart, and here's the result. And uh, the end is better than the beginning, above all that you can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Of course, you must have the power in you for this, for this to be effective. So, you know, we always start with that, the uh, how, to, how to receive the Holy Spirit, the promise of God. We'll look at that in a moment. Um, but you'll get the most surprising and amazing outcome that you have imagined. I can think, you know, so many times of um, amazing blessings. I might share one, actually. I've had, a, had an amazing blessing, and it's, it's above all I could have asked or thought. It's just really, really surprising. Now, this, you know, I'm doing this, I've got this new business that I started halfway through the year. And I put a lot of prayer in, had a three-day prayer and fast after I came back from Indonesia. I was praying, probably didn't, didn't get the idea straight away. I wrote down... I was very impressed by the Indonesian pastor's entrepreneurial spirit and how they use it not for their own gain but to benefit the assembly. And um, anyway, I wrote down about six things that I could possibly do and none of them sort of really were working and appealing. Phil actually put some posters around for me for guitar lessons, you know, in various places where he worked in the show of Harvey and not a single call. And, I, you know, he'd go back and all the little tabs at the bottom with my phone number and name had been torn off but not a single call. So, obviously, it wasn't happening. So, um, anyway, in May, I was just praying one morning, I had the idea and, and thought, oh, that's interesting, oh, and constantly sort of monitoring it with prayer, testing it, doing the research. So it still took a month and a half. New financial year came, registered the business, started making some moves, took a month, brought the first issue out in, in August the 1st. Um, 
always constantly monitoring, you know, God, is this okay? You know, do you want me to do this and blah, blah, blah. Now, I could never have imagined this, but, you know, got so busy that I couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't sell it. You know, product could produce the product but not sell it, you know, need advertising for it to to work. And um, I thought, I really need to someone else to do that for me. But I, I can't... Um, you know, can't offer anyone a wage and I can't offer commission. They wouldn't make a living out of it and so on. So I don't know how this is quite going to work. But, Lord, you seem to have led me into this, so you're going to have to solve this one. And then um, last week I had a call from a guy who I published his poem in the magazine. And uh, he called me and said, can we meet? Out of the blue. I never met him before, except for publishing his poem and sending him a copy. And uh, he, uh, we met and he said, I'd like to be your salesman for nothing. I'm retired. I've got a long, glittering career as a salesman. I used to work in the UK um, for a building products company, team of seven people under me, a turnover of £8 million a year. Um, went to start the New Island division, you know, got put on the new product line, all that sort of thing. Love the magazine, want to give back something to Bunbury, and I'd like to, uh, like to work for you for nothing. How's that? <laughs> so I just couldn't believe it. Praise the Lord. I've been telling a few people. Some of you already heard about that. But that is certainly above all I could have asked or thought. And I was, I've said to many people, and I've said to myself and to the Lord, of course, I'm quite happy for this to fail if it's not of the Lord, you know, and that's fine. You know, you always learn something. Everything's good. All things work together for good. Nothing's wasted. You know, it'll lead on to something else. But... You know, at the moment, seems to be blessed. So, praise the Lord. You know, hallelujah. Above all, you can ask or think. And I'm sure you can relate to that. There's lots of things that happened in your, in your life that uh, you just thought, oh, if I get out of this one, if I squeak through this one, I might just be okay with this sort of outcome. And then the Lord's given you something so wonderful. So, praise the Lord. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 8 giving me lots of opportunities to witness to people too, this uh, new thing I'm doing, everyone I talk to, if anyone finds out about the fellowship, <laughs> and if possible, the doctrine as well. Some people will allow you to go that next step. Um, okay, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says, The Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't know what to pray for. We, we do pray for things, of course. We pray for good things like our fellowship and our loved ones, our brothers and sisters. But God is saying, there are actually things you don't know what you should be praying for, and I help you through the Spirit. God is a spirit, Jesus said, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So as spirit meets spirit in prayer, God makes the spirit makes intercession for us with those groanings which cannot be uttered, those sort of inner needs. That's what it means by groanings, you know, sort of our, our inner self crying out for whatever it, whatever it needs. It can't be uttered. You don't even realize, um, but the spirit is working on it. And he that searcheth the hearts, in verse 27, God, Knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And he searches our hearts. You know, it said in the, one of the early scriptures we read today that he wanted to see what was in our hearts. And uh, here, it's like this is where it's happening. This is the, the nitty gritty of it, where the cogs are turning. He's, he's, uh, he knows 
what's in there and as we pray. In verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So even even things that seem really hard, um, having to, we heard in testimony, go to somewhere else for three months where you know there was conflict over scripture and doctrine, it works together for good, doesn't it? If you love God and you're called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. How does all this start? Let's look at a couple of scriptures in, um, where should we go? John chapter 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, who comes to ask him how he can do all these miracles. And Jesus says to him, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. You must be born from above. It's an actual event. It's not just a... It's not just a... Um, as, as we heard in Testament, just repent and then you're okay. There's, there's more to it. There's being born. I mean, being born is an event, isn't it? It's not just, oh, I think I might be born now um, and I'm born. You actually got to go through a bit of pain and, you know, quite a lot of time. And then eventually it's uh, irrefutable that this baby's been born. You know, one minute it wasn't there, next minute it's, it's there in front of your eyes. So, you know, that's the same as being born again. One minute you're not born again, and the next minute you are born again. What's what's the event that shows that? Is it just because you said, I think I'll be born again now? No. Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it listeth, where it wills, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit has a sound. Like the wind, he uses that as just as, as a analogy an example of the of the sound so is everyone that's born in spirit there is the sound of course when a baby's born it was soundless in the womb and then it comes out and it makes a sound and it's it's able to articulate to cry to make googles and all those sorts of cute things that it does but it's definitely sound there and you know it's almost like god said i'm going to make the birth of babies you know and the being born again, that, there are lots of parallels between them so that p- people can understand it. In uh, John chapter 16, oh, John chapter 4, no, we won't go there. We have, I've mentioned that. You must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, John 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, this chapter is about speaking to his disciples at the end and telling them he's going to be going away. And they say, well, how do we know the way to go? And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And I'm going to show you the way. He says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do the things that I've said. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Uh, in verse 26, But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, he tells us what the comforter is, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. It's the Spirit that's going to teach you. It's the Spirit that's going to remind you of all these things I said over three and a half years. 
that's going to help you write them down and make the Gospels. And in verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. I and my Father will come and make our abode with him. You'll be like a house with us inside. Our spirit will be inside you, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. Okay, we'll just finish in the beginning of Acts where this all comes to a head, this promise that Jesus made. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus with his disciples after his resurrection, he's together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. The promise is the one we just read of in John 14. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, come inside you and make its abode with you, live inside you. For John truly baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, not many days from now, you're going to receive this promise of mine. In verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then in the next verse, he rises up into heaven. In chapter 2, verse 1, the disciples follow his commandment. Remember, it was a commandment. He said, I command you to wait here and pray for the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And uh, the 120 were initially filled with the Holy Spirit. They were the ones, the faithful ones, that uh, waited and prayed for, for seven days received the Spirit, but immediately the gospel started to go out because the crowd gathered and Peter preached to them. And when they were really pricked in their hearts about, yes, we need to do this, they asked, what shall we do? And Peter, in verse 38, replies to them with these words, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, to everyone in the whole world. And immediately 3,000 people were baptised, add to the 120, and it's the same promise applies today. The promise is to you, to your children, to everyone that's afar off, whatever corner of the world they live in, even right down here in the, one of the most remote parts of the, the um, world, well, I suppose they're all remote. Depends on your perspective, doesn't it? But, yeah, so everywhere, the promise is to you. You can receive this Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and um, be part of this wonderful, wonderful plan where you're able to put the power into effect in your life. And all people say, Amen.